Today, we are back in Acts chapter 8. We're going to finish off the chapter today. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into this. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much, God, that you love us. And Lord, we thank you that you are a father who seeks to um, want to move and lead um, us, your children, as your people, that you might lead us into new opportunities and new areas where you can grow us and stretch us and, and work in our lives and through our lives. And as we see that once again today, I pray that our hearts would be enlarged, that our hearts would be challenged, um, and that we would just gain some greater insight into how you seek to move and lead your people. And so we give you this time today in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. So we are in the midst of a short little series that we've called Advance, that it's a series in our series of the book of Acts. We started the book of Acts in uh, September, so yeah, we've been going kind of slow. We've only made it to chapter 8, but we've really been doing kind of a deep dive in the book of Acts, and so we come here to the chapter 8 where we have been looking at this idea of how God moves and leads his people, and although this is not an exclusive description of how God moves and leads his people. Um, It does give us three insights that we have seen as to how the Lord moves and leads his people. And the first one that we noted was that oftentimes God will allow our comfort zones to get shaken up, that that's how he moves us and leads us. And we saw that in the very beginning of the book, if you recall in verse one, it says that that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Look look at verse 4, and it says, and then those who were scattered went everywhere. Everybody say everywhere. They went everywhere preaching the word. And we saw in our first study that God used this shaking up of the church through persecution to get them on mission because the mission that Jesus had given them was that they were to take the gospel into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. But up to this point, they have only gone to Jerusalem and the gospel has and expanded beyond there, but it would happen through this persecution. As they went everywhere, they went everywhere preaching the gospel. And we saw that one of those young men who went out was a guy by the name of Philip. Philip, we met in chapter six. He was one of the first deacons uh, there in the early church. And God, Philip went down to Samaria. And we noted that the the Samaritans and the Jewish people had great tension and persecution or prejudice that existed amongst them because the Jews looked at the Samaritans as being half-breeds. And we noted that the fact that Philip went there was a sign of just being willing to go anywhere to share the gospel. And God was moving and working mightily through Philip there in Samaria as people were getting saved and hearts were being changed and great transformation was taking place. It was truly an exciting time. 
And then we saw the second way that God moves and leads his people is that oftentimes he will show you a need that he wants you to respond to. And so we noted that as things were just breaking out and God was moving and working in Samaria, that the apostles who were back in Jerusalem, they got wind of this. They saw what was happening and they realized that there was a need in Samaria, that it wasn't just sufficient that the believers there were saved. They needed to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so they sent Peter and John down there. They responded to the need and went down there and laid hands on the Samaritans that they might be empowered by the Holy Spirit, that they might receive that coming upon of the Holy Spirit to enable them and help them to walk with the Lord. And we noted in our study last week that sometimes that's the way that God helps us to discover our calling And where we fit in his kingdom and in the body of Christ is he'll show you a need that he wants you to respond to. And sometimes when you see a need, the best thing to do is just respond. And it's through responding that sometimes you come to realize that, hey, I think God has called me to this. Well, today we come to the final way that we see here in Acts chapter 8 of how God moves and leads his people. And this is number three, that it's through the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And we see this in the life of Philip, that the Lord is going to prompt him to leave Samaria and go somewhere else. And through Philip's example, we will see three principles here about how to respond when the Holy Spirit is prompting you and how to um, be effective in ministering to other people. So this is where we're going to pick it up in verse 26. We see God is doing this great thing in Samaria, and the Lord is going to move Philip into a new direction. Verse 26, we read, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now I want you to pause there and I want you to imagine how hard this must have been for Philip. I mean, he is in the midst here of a revival that is breaking out in Samaria. He's experiencing what anybody who has ever been in ministry longs for, to see God just pour out his spirit in an incredible way. God is moving. People are getting saved. People are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And, And things are going here way better than Philip could have ever even imagined. And then the Lord says, change of plans. I want you to go down to Gaza and notice how it's described there in our text. It says, this is desert. And I find that to just be humorous in the sense that the Holy Spirit would inspire Luke to just add that little phrase. It's a keen insight that the Holy Spirit wants us to realize that God was calling Philip to go to a desolate place. You see, deserts are known for being places where there's not a lot of life. There's a lot of death in the desert. Think of Death Valley. That's why they call it Death Valley, right? There's not a lot of life there. And God is calling Philip to leave this place where there has, that has been overflowing with life. I mean, there's people in Samaria, that's one thing, but it's also the life of God that has been being poured out. God is working, and he tells them to go to this place where there's no people. 
And seemingly, it would seem like there's no life. There's no life in the desert there in Gaza. But this is what Philip was going to discover, is that God was also in the desert. And I believe that that is a word for somebody here today, that you find yourself in a desert place. You find yourself in a desert season in your life, and God wants you to know that he's there. He wants you to know that he is working, that he is working in the midst of that, of that dry season, that he loves you, that he has a plan that he wants to work out in your life. He just wants you to persevere. Now, Philip is going to discover that there's a guy out there in the desert that needs Jesus. And God wants to use Philip to be the guy to introduce this guy to the Lord. But right now, I want you to note this. Philip doesn't know that. He doesn't know that's why God wants him to go. The Lord simply is calling Philip to leave Samaria and go into the desert of Gaza. And get this, the distance between Samaria and the desert in Gaza was 80 miles. This is no small trek, in other words. But I want you to notice that when God says to Philip, arise and go, notice what we read in verse 27. It says, so he arose and he went. In other words, there was no hesitation whatsoever. On Friday night, the first night of our weekend of prayer and fasting, as we were just waiting upon the Lord here, one of the brothers had a fel- or had a, in the fellowship had a word that God had been speaking to his heart about, don't hesitate. And I think that, that that was not just a word for him, but for many of us, that when God is calling you to do something, to take a step of faith, to venture into a a new area, the thing that you want to do is to respond immediately. Don't hesitate. I want you to notice here, Philip doesn't argue. He doesn't say, but Lord, things are going great here in Samaria. Why do you want me to go to the desert? He doesn't say, you know, Jerusalem, Lord, is 30 miles closer. Why don't you send one of the apostles down there who's in Jerusalem? I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that there's nothing out in the desert. Lord, at least there's people here. He doesn't do any of that. He just obeys. He just goes. And this is principle number one. When the Holy Spirit is prompting you, learn to respond quickly. Don't hesitate. And the reason for this is because if you delay in responding, here's what can happen. One of the things that can happen is you can talk yourself out of the will of God. You can talk yourself out of a step of faith. You can find yourself just rationalizing why all the different reasons why this isn't a good idea and all your questions aren't being answered or your concerns aren't being met. And you say, oh, this this isn't the Lord. No, 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 don't do that. That's what can happen when you procrastinate. Another thing that can happen as you procrastinate is you can miss out on the opportunity. You can miss out on the opportunity to be a blessing and be used at all because God will find somebody else. Greg Laurie has often said that fruitful ministry happens when you have the right person at the right place at the right time. 
And it was the right place, and it was the right time, and Philip was the right guy that God was calling. But if Philip would have procrastinated, God could have easily called somebody else. God was calling Philip because he wanted to bless Philip. So Philip has this, this calling, this urge from the Lord, and he has no idea what God has in store for him out in the desert. He just knows that God is calling him there, and so he goes, and he's going to find out the why, listen, as he went. And I want you to note this. I want you to understand this, that when God is leading you, he will rarely, if ever, lay out the whole plan. How many of you know that to be true? How many of you don't like that? (laughs) Myself included, right? He doesn't ever, he he rarely ever lays out. He never says, okay, Rob, here's here's where you're at. Here's where I want you to go. Here's what's going to happen in between. He doesn't do that. You know why? Because that wouldn't be faith. And he calls us to walk by faith. So he doesn't give us the whole plan. What he usually does is he gives us the first step, Right? He gives you that first step to to step out in faith and trust the Lord. And you know, sometimes we can think that God might be leading us into some new thing or into some opportunity, and we think that He is doing that because He wants to do some great work through us. But you know what I've learned? In my years of following Jesus and being involved in ministry, Oftentimes when God is moving me into some new area and calling me to make some step of faith, it's not so much. The biggest reason isn't because he's wanting to do something through my life, but he's wanting to do something in my life. And that new territory, that new area, that new opportunity is going to be his training ground. It's going to be that place of of preparation. I think back to when my wife and I, back in 1991, we were on staff here. I was on staff here as a youth pastor. And God called us to to uproot and leave this place and go a thousand miles to Oregon to plant a church. And I got to tell you, we were so, it was scary. I mean, we we had our two kids, they were one and two, and it was a scary thing, but it was also an exciting thing. And we went out thinking that God was going to do something great through our lives. And you know what? God was faithful. He did plant a church, a church that is still existing and remains to this day. But I got to tell you, the greater work that God did was in my life. It was in my heart. And God knew that there were some things that he needed to do and some things that he needed to change and some some things that he needed to do in my heart that he needed to take me out of here and put me in what was my desert there in Oregon in order for him to do that. And it was all preparation for something that I had no idea. And that was that five years later, he was going to call us back here, back to this church, And to have me be the one who would lead the church. But sometimes we can think that God is is sending us somewhere or asking us to do something. and, And it's because he wants to do something through us. 
And I, I envisioned certain things that, that God was going to do there in Oregon. And some of those things that he did do. But most of what he did was in my heart. And although it was maybe some of the, the hardest or maybe the hardest five years of my life, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Because my walk with the Lord has never been the same. As he used that time to grow me and, and to shape me. And that's what's happening here with Philip. Philip has no idea what God has in store for him, but it was revealed when he arose and went. Let's pick it up in verse 27. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now pause there. Who was this Ethiopian eunuch? Well, Ethiopia at that time was a powerful kingdom located south of Egypt. And the Ethiopians believed that they were an incarnation of the sun god. And it's interesting how what you believe affects how you behave. And so because of that, because they believed that they were these little gods, they believed that regular governmental work was beneath the men. So women were entrusted to serve in most of the positions of government. And because of that, if a man wanted to be involved in government like this Ethiopian eunuch, he had to be emasculated. And so the reason for this was twofold. First, it was so that as they were working, they wouldn't be tempted being surrounded by all these women. And number two, so that they wouldn't be a threat to the leadership. Now, we're told here that this guy has an important position, that he was in charge of the treasury of Queen Candace. So he's in charge of the cash. He's in charge of the gold. He's the money guy in that kingdom. And so we know that he's a man of influence. He's a man of wealth. And we know that because he has in his possession a scroll from the book of Isaiah. And I want you to understand in that day and age, it wasn't, these were uncommon. These, these documents were rare. It wasn't like they had bookstores that you could go, I'm going to pick up a, a commentary or a book. Of, I'm going to pick up the book of Isaiah. No, they, they were handwritten scrolls that were very, very rare and unique and very, very expensive. So this guy, he's a man of wealth. He's able to buy this scroll that was probably only just a small part of the book of Isaiah. And he's reading it. Now, what's interesting is this guy, he has everything that people today say it's important for men to have. He's got power and possessions and influence. He has everything, but despite that, he's empty. There's a void in his life that he can't fill. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you are here, maybe you're watching online and, and you've achieved all your goals. You, you've you know, established yourself in, in business or in various ways, but you realize there's a void. There's an emptiness that is still there in your heart. What's also interesting about this Ethiopian eunuch is that many scholars believe that he had converted to Judaism. In fact, notice verse 27. It tells us that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. 
In other words, he just came to a place where as he looked at the gods of the Ethiopians and the Egyptians, that he just found them to be empty. And so he desired to know the one true God, the God of Israel. And so he goes on this journey to come to Jerusalem, the holy city, to worship at the temple of the one true God. But it wasn't like when he gets there, it's not what he expected. Have you ever gone somewhere only to discover when you got there it wasn't what you imagined? You know, you get there and you're like, man, this isn't like what the pictures look like. This isn't like the brochure. You know, in my marriage, my wife and I will celebrate 37 years of marriage in July. And yes, thank you. She is my best friend, love her. But in our marriage, and she would be the first to admit this, that I'm the more romantic one. I'm the the planner as it relates to our trips and, and that type of thing. But there was this one time years ago when my wife planned a little surprise getaway. I remember it was on a Sunday after church. She had arranged for somebody to take my truck home and she had my bags packed and she was whisking me away to some little you know, place that we were gonna go away for a little romantic getaway. And I gotta tell you, I was so excited because she had never done anything like that before. And I was excited even when I found out that we were going east instead of west because I'm a water guy. So I know we're going to the mountains and we end up we're going to to julian now she had booked this and this is long before you know um airbnb and this is when you just could start very the very beginning of booking things online and so she went online and figured this all out and and booked this thing and and it was supposed to be this quaint little cottage with a beautiful rose garden a little b&b so we get up into julian And we're driving down this street where this quaint little cottage is supposed to be. And there's like this big house. And we're going like, this this is the right address, but this isn't the the place. We, We found out that the quaint little cottage was in the backyard of the big house. And it was literally a shed, okay? <laughs> like a metal shed with a smokestack and the, and the garden was just a bunch of weeds. It was, it was pretty horrific, all right? My wife starts crying. She's just distraught. And being the romantic, sensitive guy that I am, my first response was, how much did this cost? <laughs> But we made the best of it. We had a good time, but it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And in a greater way, that's what this Ethiopian eunuch discovers when he gets to Jerusalem to worship God, because this is what he discovers is that in Judaism, a eunuch was not allowed to worship in the temple. So that was strike one. He couldn't even go in to worship. The second thing, strike two, was that in Judaism, if you were a Gentile, you were only allowed to go into the outer court. And so he couldn't even go very far even into the whole temple area if he could have went at all. So that was strike two. And then strike three is this is what he found in Judaism was a Jewish religion that was full of rituals and regulations and rules. And that was marked by gross hypocrisy in the leadership. So I want you to imagine the disappointment 
and the disillusionment that he must have felt. And maybe that's your story today. Maybe that's your story with church and Christianity. Maybe you've had a bad church experience that has left you disappointed and disillusioned. Can I just say this, and I want to just preface this by saying, this is not an excuse. This is just a fact. The church, any church, will always be flawed. You know why? Because it's full of flawed people. I mean, just look around, all right? Okay? (laughs) We're all flawed. We're all broken. So any church is always going to be flawed. And if you go to a church long enough, you will experience hurt and disappointment. Because it's full of flawed people. But... You will never experience disappointment with Jesus. Because he is faithful and he is true. He is full of love and grace and compassion. He always has and always is looking out for your best interest, even when it doesn't seem like it at times. But he loves you. And he promises this, that all things do work together for good to those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. The church will fail you. Jesus won't. So this guy, he comes there and he finds out that he's excluded from the worship that he so desired. And that was the, the mindset of Judaism, but not of God. In fact, God would make it very, very clear when Jesus died on the cross and he's hanging there on the cross, paying the price for our sins, and he cries out, it is finished. And the Bible tells us that right at that moment that this veil, this giant veil, big thick veil that took like 150 priests to hang it there in the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies that it tore in half from the top to the bottom and that was god's way of saying open house that was god's way of saying anyone who wants to come near to me and draw near to me and know me can know me if they come through my son jesus christ in fact he tells us in his word to come boldly into his presence. So this guy gets a rude awakening. But while he's in Jerusalem, he picks up this scroll from the book of Isaiah, and he's reading it as he's heading back home. And this is one of the things I love about this story is it illustrates how the sovereignty of God works in conjunction with the free will of man. I mean, this guy is a seeker. He's searching, and as he's searching for God, God is drawing him, and he has one of his servants, Philip, right there in his path, because God was pursuing after him. Let's pick it up in verse 29. It says, then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Let me ask you this question. How did the Holy Spirit speak to Philip? The text doesn't tell us. Was it an audible voice? Might have been. 
But I got to tell you, in my 47 years of following Jesus, I've never, ever had God speak to me in an audible voice. And I don't know anybody else who has. Maybe you have. I have never, ever heard the voice of God. If you have, talk to me later. I'd love to hear what his voice, know what his voice sounded like. You know, was it Morgan Freeman? Was it, you know, what did it sound like? I don't know. But I've never heard an audible voice. But I can tell you this. The way that God has spoke to me in my life has been through a lot of strong impressions where I would just get an impression that he wanted me to do something, and it wouldn't go away. So I say, oftentimes you know that when a burden is from God, it doesn't go away, and I would get an impression. Sometimes it would be, in fact, I shared this with you guys, um, I think back in January. In, in November, we had the mayor come out to our church. Remember, we prayed for him because he was before he was elected and we were praying for the election and we prayed over him because he's a, a man that loves the Lord. And, and um, so I met him then and um, because we were corresponding about when the services were, I had his number. Well, in January, I'm reading my, my devotions one morning and I read this verse in the book of Daniel and I just get this impression, send that verse to the mayor. This is after he got elected. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I don't even know this guy. He's going to think I'm weird, you know? And like, this is a Bible verse for you. And, but it wouldn't go away. So I sent it. I sent it like, hey, I, I don't know. I just sense God wanted me to send this to you. A minute later, a minute later, he texts me back and says, thank you so much. That ministered to me. You have no idea what I've been going through. And he just shared with me. And now we've become friends. And God used that just responding to that impression. Sometimes I'll be in a crowded room and a lot of noise and I'll just sense the Lord saying, go talk to that person over there. I don't even know how to start the conversation. Sometimes they just want to go, hey, how are you? Are you having fun? You know, what's, what's going on? And, and sure enough, the conversation will ensue into some type of divine appointment where it's like obvious. Okay, God was in that. You say, well, 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 what if I'm wrong? What if I do that and I'm wrong? I'll tell you, I've been wrong many times. There's been many times where I like, go talk to that person. I go up and they, and they like look at me like, who are you? Get away from me. You know, and they want nothing to do with me. They're like, okay, I was wrong on that one. But you know what? I would rather take the risk and be wrong than miss out on the opportunity to possibly impact a person's life for eternity. So the Lord says to Philip, run up to the chariot. Okay, he runs up, verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? I want you to note this. Philip runs up to this guy. And how does he open up? He's he's jogging up and goes, do you understand what you're reading? And I want you to note this, because if you want to be effective in sharing Christ with others and ministering to other people, notice what Philip does here. He looked for some common ground. This is principle number two. You want to be used by the Lord in someone's life? Look for some common ground. I want you to note that Philip doesn't run up to him and say, hey, hey, you, I just want you to know, God sent me out here to tell you you're going to hell unless you repent. He doesn't do that. He doesn't run up to him and say, hey, buddy, I just want you to know, God sent me here to tell you you're in big trouble. No, he looks for some common ground. 
very politely, very tactfully. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? And can I encourage you? Can I encourage you to, to look for common ground as conversation starters with people? The common ground, it could be sports. It could be music. It might be a new movie that's out that you saw. It could be politics. Maybe not that one. Um, no, no, seriously, though. When the talk of the presidential election comes up, I'll say this sometimes to somebody. I'll say, you know what? I know the election's important, and it is, but I'm not so much concerned about who the president is going to be because I'm looking for a king. I'll tell people that. And they'll say, what the heck do you mean by that? And I'll say, well, let me tell you, it's <laughs> Jesus is the king, you know, and it's a great open door. Try it. Just try it. You might be surprised. But look for some common ground and an opportunity. The next time that you're in a coffee shop or on an airplane, you see somebody reading a book, just ask them, hey, what are you reading? Is that a good book? What are you reading? And you never know where that conversation is going to go. Show interest in what interests them, and that could be a great open door. You know, sometimes I'll use sports. So I love sports, and I was, I was an athlete. And so sometimes I'll get around to, you know, talking to somebody about sports, and it'll lead to me talking about an athlete that I know who's a Christian. And so I'll say, you know, man, I really like this guy on that team, man. He's such a great player. And, but then I'll say, share something, you know, that I know about his faith. Like, for instance, I was in the gym not too long ago, and, and I was, knew this guy there that was a, he was a 49er fan, big 49er fan. And so in the midst of, you know, the, we're talking, and the 49ers had an incredible season this year, and they had a guy on their team. He was their third-string quarterback. The first two guys got, got hurt, and so he becomes the starter. But get this, he was the last guy drafted in the entire NFL draft that year, and they give that guy this title. They call the guy that gets drafted the last pick Mr. Irrelevant, like he's never going to make it, okay? So that, this guy's known as Mr. Irrelevant. Brock Purdy was his name, but he ends up being the starter. He leads them to seven wins and into the playoffs. I mean, the, they were having an incredible season. So we're talking about how, how great the season's been, and I'm talking about how amazing Brock Purdy has been, but then I said, you know, the thing I really, really admire about Brock Purdy is that I, I know he's a Christian, and I read an article about him where he said this, that his identity is not in football. His identity is who he is in Jesus. And then I shared how that became my testimony as well in my life, that my whole identity was in being a baseball player, but then I came to a point where it was like, you know, no, my identity has to be in Jesus. So right there in the gym, I'm sharing the gospel with this guy, and this guy drops to his knees and gets saved. No, he didn't. He didn't. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> But I gave him something to think about. And he was thinking about it for weeks after that. So you plant the seed. You look for common ground that you can share Jesus. Look for, for opportunities you have to, to assist, to help. Because that's how we show Christ's love and compassion to others.
So Philip looked for common ground, and he seeks to help this guy by, by asking the question, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Pick it up in verse 31. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture where he read was this. He's reading in Isaiah 53, verse 7, that says this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Isaiah is writing there, prophesying about the crucifixion of Jesus. What Jesus is going to go through, that he's going to be like this lamb before the slaughter. Notice it continues, verse 33. And in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Verse 34. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Note that. He preached Jesus to him. And I want you to note this. It doesn't matter where you start in the conversation. You can start with sports or music or movies or politics or the book, whatever it might be. You can start talking about anything, but where you need to get to and to end up is talking about Jesus. And this is principle number three. The goal is to point them to Jesus. Not to you. Not to a political candidate not even to a church. The goal is to point them to Jesus because only Jesus can save somebody. Only Jesus can transform a person's life. It's why Paul the Apostle would say this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know it's what changes lives. There is power in the word. I love how Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. He says, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and and it does not return there, but waters the earth and, and makes it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the other. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Do you realize that? Do you believe that? God's word does not return void. It doesn't. The writer of the book of Hebrews put it this way. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I love that. God's word is is. Sharper than a two-edged sword. 
You know, sometimes we, we sit there, we get hung up on, well, that person I'm talking to, they don't believe the Bible. You don't need to convince them that the Bible is true. Just share it. It'd be like if I was in hand-to-hand combat with somebody and I, and I have a sword, but he doesn't believe in swords. I'm not going to try to convince him that, well, check it. I mean, this is sturdy steel and it's strong. I'm going to just poke him with it. And he's literally going to get the point, right? That's the idea. You just share the word and let it do its thing. So Philip preached Jesus to him, and here we see the result. Verse 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now, listen, here's what hindered him. Don't miss this. He wasn't saved. Notice what Philip says. Verse 37. Then Philip said, well, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And I want you to note this because there are those who, who say that you have, in order to be saved, you, that, that you, have, you have to be baptized to be saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you believe and be baptized. That baptism is the extension, it's the expression, the outward expression of that inward work. Philip says, you can't be baptized because you're not saved. But if you believe, then you can be baptized. But you need to believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. And this gives us insight into what Philip preached, that Jesus was God's Son, that Jesus was God in the flesh who came to redeem mankind from his sin, that Jesus was the only one who could make a way for us to have a right relationship with God. And I love that he says, if you believe with your whole heart, because that's what it is. It's a whole heart thing. You know, it's been said that sometimes the problem or the heart of the matter or the heart of the problem is a heart problem. That's what I meant to say. The heart of the problem is a heart problem. And that's true. And even I think for, for some of you here today that have even professed Jesus, but you're not really experiencing Jesus the way that you should, the reason is, is because you haven't believed with your whole heart. You're not fully committed to him. And that's what he wants. That's what he desires. So verse 38 says, So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. How amazing is that? So that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Notice verse 39, I love that. The Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. That's the result of a genuine touch of God. Rejoicing in the heart. Philip disappeared, but Philip isn't missed because this guy has Christ. He goes on his way rejoicing. The historian Irenaeus said that this man became the first missionary to the Ethiopians. And that might be true. I mean, he had a story to tell, didn't he? Of how God met him and drew him. As we close today, 
Perhaps you are here in this room or maybe you are watching online and you can identify with this Ethiopian eunuch. You can identify him in this way, that you have everything that you have ever desired, everything that you've ever wanted. You've achieved your goals, but you realize you're still empty. You realize that there's a void there in your heart. And the reason is because that void can only be filled by entering into a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today like this guy and you've been pursuing religion. And you have, you know, been been trying to clean up your act and you become more religious. Listen, God is not interested in religion. What he's interested in is relationship. That's why he sent Jesus to leave heaven and come to the earth so he could go to the cross and pay the price for your sins and be placed in the grave and three days later rise again from the dead to give you life. Because not so that you could join a religion, but so you could enter into a relationship with the living God. And that's what he offers today. If you'll believe in him with your whole heart, if you'll open up your whole heart to follow after Jesus, this is what he's going to do. He's going to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins. He's going to cleanse you of your guilt. He's going to remove the shame and you're going to enter into relationship with God. And he's going to impart within your heart a hope and an assurance that you know what your destiny entails. That's what he has for you today. And I'd love you to give you that opportunity to respond to that right now. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. Lord, I thank you that you choose to move and work and lead us as your people because you know that that new area, that new thing, that desert perhaps is the place that you're going to do something in us that is lasting. Something that makes us more like Jesus. And so God, I pray for all of us here who are believers that we would lean into that, believing that you are a good, good father that we would take those steps of faith. But God, I pray for anybody here in this room, anybody who's watching online who has yet to give their heart to you, who has yet to really truly believe in you with their whole heart. I pray right now that in this moment, as your Holy Spirit is just tugging and prompting on their heart that they would respond.